Good morning. My name is Jason, one of the pastors here at Community Church, and I'm really glad that each and every one of you is here today. Uh, would you pray with me as we prepare to, prepare to open up God's Word? Father, we thank you that we can come to you as our Heavenly Father, that you know us fully, and yet in a way that goes beyond our brains to understand, you work through our prayers. So we come to you now and we pray as Jesus taught us, we pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. As we look out at our world and see war and violence and all that's going on in the Middle East, we pray that your kingdom would come. As we think about our impact partners spreading your word and your compassion around the world as we think of specifically the Boaz Project and April and Michaela uh, on their way to South Asia right now to train people to care for the most vulnerable. We pray that your kingdom would come. And as we enter this place this morning and we bring our own pains, our own frustrations, our own distractions, we pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done. Even in our hearts this morning as we open up your word. I pray that my words are clear, that they're helpful, that they bring you glory and honor. I pray that you'd burn off whatever doesn't do that. And ask Holy Spirit to be our teacher this morning. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, we've spent the year talking about faith stories. We've gone back and we've looked at some of the big stories of the Old Testament, some of the main characters, some of the real people and their real problems, real issues, and how God has worked in them, through them, and in spite of them for his will to be done as he works in this world. And how all that looks forward to Jesus and how we can then look at that and be changed. Last week we started a new series called Made to Flourish where we were, were stopping and we're pausing a little bit and we're looking at our own lives a little bit more directly. And we're saying, what does it really mean to flourish? What does it look like for all of our systems to be aligned and for us to be the men and women that God has called us to be. Last week we began in Psalm 1, and I want to go over a couple of those verses once again and set the stage, and then we'll, we'll dive into a new place this morning. Psalm 1 opens with this, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose life does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. And we used this metaphor last week to set up the, the series that our lives are like this flourishing tree. And in that tree, we have roots of connection, connection to God, connection to other people. And as we work our way up, we have a trunk and branches that are representative of the structure 
that our beliefs and our practices give to us. And then we have leaves, and in those leaves where all the the processes take place, we get a picture of growth, of how we take in nutrients and then get rid of things that need to be eliminated. And then finally, we have fruit. That's our system of production. So as we look at these different systems, they give us a picture of flourishing. We're going to slow down and we're going to look at our root system this morning, our root system of connection. And we're going to be in Psalm 139, which is one of the most powerful and beautiful descriptions of our connection to God and what that actually looks like. I invite you first, though, to think about roots. What do roots actually do as they go down into the ground? Well, they, they do at least three things. They, they attach us, they anchor us to the ground. They take up, they absorb nutrients, they absorb water, and they store food and, and become part of that distribution system to the rest of the tree. So roots are critical. And when we think about our roots of faith, our, it starts with our connection to God. As we said last week, Paul in his great prayer to the church at Ephesus prays that the church would be rooted and grounded in love. And as we think about that great commandment of Jesus, he says to, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, we see this alignment of our relationship with God, our relationship with others, but it starts with being rooted to God. So that's where we're going to begin this morning as we seek to build and deepen our root system. So I want to take you to Psalm 139, and we'll dive right in here. For some of you, this is going to be a new psalm. You're like, wow, I was talking to some people after last service. I'd never read that psalm before. If that's you, you're in for a treat. This is a delightful text. If it's like super familiar to you, I know some of you may have committed this to memory. I would invite you to be challenged for a moment. And perhaps there's some edges in the psalm that you haven't thought about before. So we'll go down that path at some times in the message this morning. But wherever you come into this place, whatever your background is, would you be open to how the Spirit would teach you this morning as you consider your own root system, your own connection to God? This is David. And as we consider this particular psalm, We're just reminded that in God's word, we get an actual window into David's prayer life. That the inspired word of God doesn't simply give us a set of propositional truths that we can memorize and tack on the wall and all that. There's plenty of truth. I'm all for truth. At the same time, we actually get a window into the process that David is going through as he wrestles with the truth. I believe that can be helpful for us all. David says this, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. 
You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. This morning, we're going to pause at some different places in the psalm and just make some observation and some application. And then I'm going to give you a few takeaways at the end. But let's consider this big question this morning. What does, it, what does this reveal about God's knowledge of you? How well does God know you? The answer is completely. Completely. Don't gloss over those words. Let's pause, and I want you to consider those words for a moment. And to do that, I would, I'll give you a human analogy that is so much less than, but it's going to give us some perspective here. Some of you in here are parents or your parents-to-be. How well do you know your kids? Some of you may have Life360. You may have the app and you're like, I can track my kids down. I know where they are at all times. Just a pro tip, sometimes they'll leave their phone in one place and go another. So I've heard. How well do you know your kids? Even if you have access to their, their phones and, and you think you've got access, do you really know your kids? My wife, Kim, and I, we've had the blessing of being empty nesters and all of our kids have launched and it's great. And so it's, a, it's a sweet season. One of the interesting things, though, is we're now finding out some information that we didn't know previously. Hey, you remember that time? Hmm. And sometimes, yeah, we knew. You think we didn't know, but we knew. But other times it's like, wow, I'm not. Maybe we didn't have that full picture. There was a time we were hiking in Brown County, and uh, we thought one, our youngest was lost for a minute. That's a terrifying feeling. Come to find out later, this was a scheme so he could get a cell phone. And always be connected. Wow, yeah. It's deceitful. But how well do you really know your kids? And, and how well, how much truth could you really handle? What if you actually knew everything, every single thing about them? Would you want that truth? You can't handle the truth. There's some truth to that. Think about being a, a kid. Think about your parents having access, full access to everything. What would you be your response to that? Oh, of course. Come on in fully to every single detail about my life. What would be your response to that? You see, sometimes I think we want the benefits of God... We want him holding us. We want him providing for us. But do we really want to give him full access? That's the tension, I believe, between this, I want to be free, I want to be free, and I want to be held, I want to be held. Parents, provide for me. Write the check. 
but don't meddle in my life too much. Sometimes we can be that way with God. And I believe David even will give us a hint of that. Because after this, how does he respond to this knowledge that God knows him fully? What does he say? Such knowledge, verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Now, it's wonderful in the sense of great, but it's also wonder in the sense of wonder. Wow, I, don't, I can't fully grasp that. What would it be like? It's too much. When I really stop and think about it, can I handle it? And, and as, as we begin to get this picture of the characteristics, the qualities of God, his omniscience, his omnipresence, his omnipotence, and all the omnis, all the, the great things about him, we're getting into some rarefied air. Reminds me of that same kid that tried to pull one over and invited me to come out and hike with him in Colorado. And as we went up the 14er, what happens as you climb? What happens to your oxygen? <gasps> it's less and less. The higher you go, the harder it is to breathe. And there's a sense in which when we come in contact with the knowledge of God, it's a lot. There's an overwhelming sense of his holiness that surrounds us. Yes, he's holding us. Yes, he's guiding us. But at the same time, I'm hemmed in. I'm surrounded. What is my response? David says in verse 7, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? In some sense, those are beautiful rhetorical questions, but in another, it's, can I, how do I escape this? How do I, how do I get away from the overwhelming presence and holiness of God? I want to be free. Is there a way out? He goes on, if I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Sun rises in the east. He looks out over the Mediterranean to the west, east, west, everywhere. There's nowhere to hide. There's nowhere to go. Verse 11, if I say surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me. There's a sense in which David is, as he's saying, he's, he's looking back to the garden in Genesis 3 and Adam and Eve's trying to hide, trying to hide from God. And the impossibility of that. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day. For darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. We get this beautiful picture of the personal knowledge, the personal power of God. The Apostle Paul would, would pick up on this idea. I'd say that we're God's workmanship, we're his handiwork, that all the good works were created in advance for us to walk into. But there's this artistry that we see in creation. And as we consider this 
darkness and light. Whenever we see darkness, we think of hard times, we think of the rough things, we think of death and tragedy. And the light that God brings to that. He'll continue. Verse 14, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. That's a rarefied air picture. From conception to final breath, all the days ordained for you were established. How do you think about that? How do, you, how do you process that information? The great C.S. Lewis in his uh, just classic uh, book, uh, Mere Christianity, talks about how God sees time differently. Put your thinking cap on. Lewis says this, if you picture time as a straight line along which we have to travel, then you must picture God as the whole page on which the line is drawn. We come to the parts of the line one by one. We have to leave A behind before we get to B and cannot reach C until we leave B behind. God from above or outside or all around contains the whole line and sees it all. God sees our past, present, and future All at once. All at once. He's the paper that extends forever. Time is like one inch on the paper. That makes my little brain hurt to think about it. But it's true. God can see in ways we cannot see. How else could the darkness become light to him? Because he can see the big picture. He can see that. And you see David beginning to transition from, you're interrogating me, it's too much, to now, wow, worship. Worship. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. Verse 17, how vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. How precious, rare. Like, st- like precious stones, that's the sense of it here. When he contemplates the, the, the very nature of God and, and what he can grasp, it's no longer so much distance as it is worship. And then he says this at the end of 18, when I awake, I am still with you. Now, let me challenge our thinking for just a moment. On one level, as we look at this, we can imagine David literally being asleep. He wakes up and he has this, God is still with me. But some of the Hebrew scholars, when they look at this, they say this seems a little bit anticlimactic after he's painted this vast picture of the nature of God and all his vastness, his omniscience, and so big deal when you awake, he's with you. Of course he's with you. 
And here's the, here's the tack that some of them take, which I think is really intriguing to, to consider. They'll look at Psalm 17. And in Psalm 17, we see another beautiful picture of connection. We see the psalmist asking for protection from his enemies, for, for God to show him his, his steadfast love. David's saying, I, keep me the apple of your eye. That's where that expression actually comes from. It's not a cliche. It's from the Bible. That he would hide me in the shadow of your wings. And then he goes on to say, my enemies care only about this life. As for me, says David, I shall behold your face in righteousness. Verse 15, Psalm 17, 15. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your light. What's he talking about here? It's more than a literal sleep. It's the sleep of death. When I awake, you're there. When I awake from death, you are there. When I can see you face to face, you are there. Now, Jesus is going to make this possible in a way that David could only point to. But it's more than simply an awaking from a night's sleep. Then we consider the words of Mark 5, where there's this official of the synagogue, and his daughter, has di- or his, his daughter is dying. And he goes up, begs of Jesus, sits at Jesus' feet, would you heal my daughter? Jesus will come with him, and he'll do other things along the way. By the time he gets there, the daughter has died. The daughter has died, and everybody's wailing, and they say, it's too late. Jesus, you're, you're too late. But then he says this, the child is not dead. The child is not dead. She is asleep. And he takes her by the hand and says, oh, little one, get up. He raises her from the dead. What a, what a picture. Takes her by the hand. Dives into sin and death and and raises her up. What a picture for us. That's a little sense of what I believe we have in Psalm 139. That's what it's pointing to. I'd like to end the psalm there sometimes because it has a nice tie to it. God is with you. Great. Rejoice. Praise. But the psalm doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. And I appreciate what one famous pastor, he said, you know, whenever I preach this psalm, I just cut it off right here. Because I wasn't sure what to say. I can certainly identify with that. And I've, I've, this is a go-to psalm for me, and I've, I've used it in some difficult situations because it does bring comfort in the dark places. But if we look at the rest of it, what's, what's David say? If only you, God, would slay the wicked... Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord? And abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. What do you do with that? Do we just edit it, put it aside and say, I only want to read what I want to read and what makes me feel better? We've got to look at it all. 
So what's, what's the point here? Let me give us some ways that I think are helpful to put this together. When David finally grasps who God is and how closely, intimately he knows him and he sees himself, he's going to align with the heart of God. He's going to say, I'm on your side. What you want, I want. What's evil to you is evil to me. This is a bloody, ruthless culture. It's a violent culture. David's going to align with, with that. But Jesus will come along, and what will Jesus say about enemies? I give you a new command. Love your enemies. Pray for them who persecute you. Now, how can that possibly be? How do we put these things together? How could Jesus say that? Well, here's one way I would invite you to put this together. Jesus could say, love your enemies, because he would reach down and he would defeat the ultimate enemy. He would go to the cross. From noon to three, it would be completely dark. And on that cross, just as we're, we're invited, we're, we're, we're given the hand of God to hold us the Father would pull his hand away from Jesus. On the cross, Jesus would would quote Psalm 22, which is all about distance from God, and he would say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All of that, while we were yet sinners, says Paul, Christ died for us. While we were were enemies, while we were at war with God, that's what Christ did. Go back to that little timeline and God all around it, above time. He could see it all and his love is so great that he sent his son to die for us. What an amazing picture. That's how he can say love your enemies because he's defeated the ultimate enemy. Now look at how David ends this thing. Verse 23. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So this focus on the evil out here says, God, I'm no longer going to fight you. I'm no longer going to want to hide. I'm not going to say... You're interrogating me. Give me some space. I'm going to invite you in. I'm going to invite you and say, search me. Go in deep. Know me. Test my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me. Take me where I can't go on my own. Help me see what I can't see with my own eyes. What a transition. From the beginning to the end of the psalm, I believe we see a few transitions in here, a few shifts that I I think are really helpful for us today. And I want to give you those three quickly. The first one is this. If you want your roots to go deeper, I believe we need need to make a shift between from information about God to intimacy with God. 
What do I mean by that? Information. Right information about good is about God is critical. It's essential. The truth about who God is, his character, his omniscience, his omnipotence, about who Jesus is, about the truth of the resurrection, all the things that we hold tightly to. Yes, yes, yes. And he invites us into intimacy. So much so, Paul will say this in Romans 8. I'll invite you to turn there quickly. Romans 8, verse 26. Paul says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. The same Spirit, where can I flee from your Spirit? That same Holy Spirit is in us when we put our faith and our trust in in Christ. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's, you want to deepen your roots? <laughs> Invite the Holy Spirit to show you these things, to, to intercede for you. God, I don't know what the next step is. I don't know how to handle this. Show me. That's what we have access to. The second shift, a movement from independence from God to an invitation to be known by God. Everybody wants to be free. It's a culture, it's the water we swim in. Independence, self-reliance. If we have anything that our culture values above all else, that seems to be it. I'd invite us to make a shift from independence to an invitation to be known by God. And then finally, to align our hearts to God from the inside out. To align our hearts from the inside out. Our natural response sometimes can be to look out and see all that's wrong. What does David do? He looks in. He said, search me. That's where it starts. I'll leave you with this verse from 2 Peter 1, verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need. Everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate. You may participate. You may partake of in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. What a promise, friends, that that we can partake of that, that which we can't comprehend We put our faith and trust in Christ. We are invited into that to participate in the very nature, the very connection with God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for these truths that are so profound 
so above our comprehension, and yet you promise us such simple, wonderful truths that you are with us. So, Lord, we'd invite you now through your Holy Spirit, search us, search us, bring to our attention that which you want to change. And may we do that knowing your love for us, knowing what you've done, Jesus, on the cross for us, knowing your goodness. So, Holy Spirit, do the work right now that only you can. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.